was the part of the service that he dreaded. When the congregation stood to bow their head, he was well acquainted with that guilty said so often he declined the invitation for Jesus Christ to cleanse and set him free but today he made his way down to the altar knelt down the sinner but stood up ready there is life, there will always be a struggle, a tug of war between the right and wrong, and for everyone that makes their choice for Jesus, Satan has a plan to stop salvation's song. But the Holy Spirit still draws souls to Calvary. And the power of the cross still saves today. And for every time a sinner meets the Savior, I believe the host of heaven rise to say, Calvary wins again. Hallelujah, Calvary wins again, amen. There's still wonder-working power in the blood that covers sin, hallelujah, Calvary wins again, Calvary wins again, hallelujah. Anybody? There we go. All right. That's okay. Don't think it's incompetence, but you got to be smarter than the equipment you operate. And unfortunately, I did not look to see if it was even on. Okay. I'll figure that out next time.
All right. Anyway, I'm glad you're here today. And we're going to be continuing with a message that was begun last week. I call it basically a little series. And we're talking about the road that leads to thankfulness. I tell you, we've had Thanksgiving coming up this Thursday. And I'm excited about that. I, I like turkey, so I'm pretty excited. And, and I don't really get turkey through the year. You know, some people say you are what you eat. And obviously, I'm a turkey, and I don't even eat it that often. They used to call me that all the time when I was younger, at least. But anyway, I, I tell you what, I'm excited about Thanksgiving. I enjoy it. I've got a few of my family that's going out of town for Thanksgiving, and that's kind of a bummer. But the ones that are there, I'm going to be thankful for. I'm not going to worry about the ones I can't be with. I'm going to worry about the ones that are going to be there. Amen? And so we're going to be thankful and just have a great time Thursday. And I trust and hope that you do as well. Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Brother Mike, I want you to move to the back, would you please? Please move to the back, please. Thank you very much. All right? I just, uh, he's one of my guys, and um, I, always, I spot him through the auditorium from time to time, and now I want to put him in the back. Uh, a few shady characters back there, I think. I see Brother Bill. Matter of fact, you probably ought to sit by him. I mean, right by him. That's right. Thank you. Very good. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. If you ever seen Brother Mike, you know, I'm not going to go there. Okay, anyway, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Let's look at chapter 5, verse 18, all right? 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. Let me see who else I got in here. I got a couple of them in here, yeah. I think they're the ones we've got to be afraid of. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. The Bible says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, last week when we began, we started with that same verse, and we, we talked about the fact of how important it is uh, that, that this spirit or this attitude of thankfulness and gratitude be exhibited in our lives. We said it's, it's essential, it's, it's absolutely necessary in the believer's life. Why? Because thankfulness is God's will for you and I. It's His will for our life. The Bible makes it abundantly clear in this passage in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 that, that, that no one can be in the center of God's will unless they're thankful. Again, in everything he says, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now again, because thankfulness is so vital and so important, we thought we'd spend a little time talking about that. And I also decided last week we would consider the root causes of ingratitude. Okay, we didn't get a chance to talk about how to get on the, 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 the road that leads to thankfulness as much as we talked about how did we get there to begin with? How did we become in, uh, ungrateful or unthankful? Well, we said that first of all, envy is one of those root issues. Envy. You know, going through life obsessed by the advantages enjoyed by others. We said when we compare what we don't have to what others do have, well, we drastically reduce or destroy our ability to appreciate the blessings that we have in our own life. We also talked about this idea of entitlement. We said this feeling of entitlement, and we said, well, what does that mean? Well, it's a belief that one deserves certain privileges, benefits, or advantages. We deserve those things. Well, people who have a sense of entitlement are dissatisfied when they don't get what they feel they deserve. Therefore, if you're not, you don't feel you've gotten what you deserve, then let me tell you something, it's going to be very difficult to be thankful then. Because you're going to always be thinking there's something that you should have that you don't have. It leads to disappointment. It leads to dissatisfaction. And it almost always translates to ingratitude. Then we talked about this element, not only envy and entitlement, but we said also one of the other areas that is a root problem for uh, or, or breeds this element of unthankfulness or ingratitude is expectation. 
Well, what we expect is not what we get sometimes. And unfortunately, if our expectations are not in alignment with the, God, the word of the, the Lord, if they're not in alignment with the promises of God, if we somehow expect something other than what God has promised and guaranteed us, then sometimes our uh, you know, expectations can be dashed. And unfortunately, we run the risk of really becoming very angry and upset or bitter toward God himself. Now, when expectations like these go unmet, we said that, again, resentment and, and, and anger have a tendency to surface, which makes it extremely difficult, if not impossible, again, to be thankful. And so we said if there's some root causes of ingratitude, we said, well, number one, it would be envy. Number two, entitlement. Number three, expectation. Those three elements, we call them the three E's. And the fact is, is that those elements can cause us to be ungrateful and unthankful. And so we, we, we've said all of those things to arrive at the point where we're at this morning, where we want to talk about this idea of how do we get on the road that leads to thankfulness then? Uh, and I want to share three stops along the road to thankfulness. And so without further ado, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll address those three and then we'll be finished today as we look forward to a good week of being great, grateful and thankful. Father, again, we thank you for the privilege to be here. We thank you for an opportunity to gather here. Lord, uh, without you, we're nothing. We need you. Uh, Father, I'm, I'm just uh, so thankful that you've given me the opportunity to be the pastor of Community Baptist Temple. Father, through all these years, I can't help but say thank you for the many good times, the many wonderful people, the great opportunities you've given me to minister and to be blessed as well. Father, uh, we today come to you asking that you'll use this message, that you'll speak to our hearts, help us to be more sensitive to you and what we already have, and to be very grateful for the things that you've bestowed upon us and that you've granted to us. Lord, may we not be so quick to see what we don't have, but be thankful for what we do have. Now, Lord, bless us. We need you. We'll praise you. And Lord, if there's someone here that has yet to know you personally, intimately, then Lord, may they come to know you today. And Lord, may you do a mighty work in their heart and their life and transform them and change them like no other can. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First of all, then, we're going to talk about three stops along the road to thankfulness. The first stop is a realization of God. A realization of God. Um, in Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, the Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament sheweth his handiwork. Abraham Lincoln once made the statement, he said, I can see how it might be possible for a man to look down upon the earth and be an atheist. But I cannot conceive how he could look up into the heavens and say there is no God. Isn't that amazing? I think it's a tremendous truth. Again, he says, I, I, I can see how someone, it would be possible for a man to look down upon the earth and be an atheist, but I cannot conceive how he could look up into the heavens and say there is no God. See, creation and nature itself reveals an eternal, an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. We can't help but see the creation around us and realize that there had to be some intelligent designer. There had to be somebody that stepped in. It isn't just by chance or coincidence that this came into existence. God himself created all things. And creation and nature reveals this eternal God. And, and it says to us today, there is a God. And nature says to us, through the seasons and through the stars and through the, 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 the planets all of, in the heavens, he is eternal in his power. 
But man needs much more than simply that, though. It's not enough for mankind to just know there's a creator uh, in that regard or, or that there's creation. And, and sadly enough, there are people that worship creation. They, they worship the, the, the creation more than the creator. And, and you know, the fact is, is that man, mankind needs a redeemer. And, you know, nature can't satisfy that need in our life. Nature knows nothing of forgiveness, and it teaches no moral code or no solution to sin. It teaches no, uh, it, it doesn't even mention a Savior. You can look at creation, you'll never know of Jesus. Creation is a poor substitute for the Creator, a very poor one. It may point to the Creator, but it is not a substitute for the Creator. And although you and I can appreciate nature, we are warned not to worship it. Sadly, some have been guilty of not recognizing God, the Creator, and instead worshiping the creation. And according to Scripture, the byproduct of not glorifying God or putting Him in His rightful place in our lives is an attitude of ingratitude. Take your Bible, look over to Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Someone says, I'm extremely ungrateful. I have a hard time being thankful. Can I tell you what you need? First and foremost, you need a realization of God. You're losing sight of Him. Notice what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. The Bible says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. We see this, the creation itself, we can view it, it's very visible. And the invisible things that we cannot see are made known to us by the things that God has created. We can see Him in the creation. Now again, it does not name the Savior, so to speak, but we can see evidence of a God and a Creator. We recognize those things. We think about the heavenlies and we consider the sun, the moon, and the stars. And we think about the earth itself. And we can go there and we note even in the book of Malachi that the Bible says in chapter 4 verse 2, it calls Jesus the son of righteousness. S-U-N of righteousness. S, excuse me, S, uh, S-U-N of righteousness. Why in the world wouldn't it say S-O-N of righteousness? Because God's trying to point us to his creation so that it will teach us something about him. I'm going to tell you something. God has something to teach us in the creation, but it is not the creation that we are to worship. And he goes on to say, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Wow, the progression is outlined in the passage. There's an amazing progression here. And I I want you to note that these men, these people, they knew God, but they chose to dethrone him. They chose to take him off the throne of their life. That's what transpired. They knew God at one point. They had actually had interaction. They, they'd heard about him. They, maybe grandma bounced them on their knee and talked to him about the God of heaven that created the universe. But there came a point in their life and in their existence that eventually they said, we want nothing to do with God. We don't want to know God anymore. And so they did know him, but now they choose to dethrone him, to remove him from the throne of their life, not to allow him to rule and reign in their life. They expressed As a result of that, notice the Bible tells us, because that when they knew not God, they what? Glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. 
So now we go to this place where we knew God, but we have taken him off the throne of our life. And one of the next steps is we are now unthankful. We are now ungrateful. The Bible goes on to tell us that they became conceited or or unintelligent, so to speak. They became foolish. The person who concludes that there is no God will always arrive at false false conclusions. It doesn't matter how how, um, orderly their thinking is. They come to the wrong conclusion because they start at the wrong beginning. The Bible says in Romans 1.22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. The word fool has to do with the fact that they do not believe there is a God. See, the Bible teaches us that they knew God, they dethroned God, they took him off the throne of their life. As a result, they became ingrateful or unthankful to God and all the things that he alone had provided for them. They just were no longer thankful. They became conceited or unintelligent, so to speak. They became foolish. And basically, they concluded that there was no God. And we would ultimately call that atheism. And that's what we see here. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. We could continue on with the passage reading, and we come to the place where we know that they totally rejected God completely. They reshaped and redefined God based upon their own personal bias. They recreated him in their own image. That is called idolatry. And that is where this led in in the book of Romans chapter 1. So mankind in an attempt, I mean in an attempt to escape the control or the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ to somehow say, I don't want God telling me what to do. I want to live my life as I choose, as I please, in an attempt to be free from God. They create gods of their own. And those gods would appease their flesh and those gods could could encourage them in the areas that they wanted to do or or the the way they wanted to live and the way they wanted to act and be. But the fact was that what they did not understand was this, that the very gods they created, the very ones that they bowed down to, the very ones that they molded and shaped out of their own image, enslaved them. Now they were bound to a rock. Now they were enslaved to, the, to an image that they had created. It was no longer the God that created all the universe, but now it was to something they themselves created. And now they're bound again by that very image. The God did not liberate them. It did not even, it did not even elevate them in any way. Instead, it bound them and it enslaved them. And although the world is doing its best to, to promote a godless society, I want you to know it cannot, nor will it ever erase the reality of his existence. In a proclamation of prayer, Abraham Lincoln made this statement. He said, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth and power, and no other nation has, as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God talking about back in Abraham Lincoln's day. We had forgotten God, he says. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. We have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Tell me that doesn't sound like today. Intoxicated, he goes on, 
with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray the clemency for clemency and forgiveness. Abraham Lincoln is saying even way back in his day that people had chosen to neglect the very God that gave them the great benefit and, and had provided for them in their nation, that this nation which we now have was a direct result of God's hand on us. Give me the other mic, would you? So he's saying that this, 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 this nation in which we now live was blessed and it was provided for by the hand of God. And yet, even back then, they somehow thought it was by their own ingenuity, their own intellect, or their own ability that it came to pass. And as a result, they were ungrateful. And that's how it works when we fail to recognize and fail to realize that there is a God in heaven. When we take him off the throne of our life and we cease to remember what he's done for us, my friend, we will be unthankful. But when you remember him and you place him on the throne of your life, then I want you to realize, (laughs) and I mean, you will realize that you have much to be grateful for. So first and foremost, a realization of God puts us on the road that leads to thankfulness. I mean, when you consider, I mean, think about this for a minute. When you realize that God is so big and vast and that he created the universe and everything in it with, I mean, unquestioned order and purpose. I don't know about you, but I'm thoroughly impressed. But to think, here's what's even better, to think that God created the universe with you in it. And that his thoughts towards you are precious always. And that you are invaluable and important to him. You can't help but be blessed. And you can't help but be thankful. To think that a God would consider you and me. Amazing. Simply amazing. So first of all. A realization of God puts you on the road that leads to thankfulness. But number two, a recognition of good. A recognition of good. You know, each and every one of us needs to be very quick to recognize the good around us and in our lives. Because, you know what, it's impossible to be thankful if we don't. Proverbs chapter 27. Would you turn there with me for a moment? Proverbs 27 verse 20. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 20. There in the passage, the Bible tells us, hell and destruction are never full. But it goes on to say, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. That's an amazing statement. Hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. Oh, what's he saying? Well, he's saying simply this. It doesn't matter how much I have. It doesn't matter how much I've been given. The truth is, is that if I'm not careful, my first response and my, my innate uh, uh, attitude is simply this. I want more. 
that it's never enough. There's got to be something else. You know, it's that whole adage again that, that the grass is always greener on the other side. But it's not, is it? Anybody that's lived some life has come to the conclusion, I hope, I hope <laughs> that the other side isn't always as green as it looks. That it's not always as sweet and it's not always as tasty, but that it has a lot of bitterness as well. That everybody has a cross to bear. And unfortunately, the one you're bearing may or may not be the heaviest that you could be bearing. We have a perfect example of this passage that the eyes of man are never satisfied. Look, if you will, in 2 Samuel chapter 12. This example is from the life of David. Now, we know that David had not gone off to battle, and as a result, he finds himself over there on, on, uh, out on the balcony, and he looks down, and he sees this beautiful woman, and unfortunately, he involves himself with her, and when it's all said and done, finds out that she's, she knows she's a married woman, and before it's over with, he ends up killing her husband, and he involves himself in horrible sin. He tries to cover it up, but God knew. And now we have Nathan, the prophet, that comes to him. And in chapter 12, verse 7 and 8, And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. He ultimately tries to give him a picture of, of a man who had taken a lamb from someone that had only one lamb, so to speak. It was his precious lamb. And he just he chooses to, uh, some, some rich man turns around and says, I want that lamb and kills that lamb for his own pleasure and leaving that other man without that lamb. And boy, it breaks that man's heart. Hey, let me tell you something. He's pointing a picture. He's creating a picture so that he can ultimately pinpoint the real culprit of this sin. And it was David. And God sends his man, Nathan, and he says, Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. You're the one who took what was not yours. You're the one that hurt and harmed that particular man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and I gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little... I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. What he's saying is, is that, listen, David, look back on your life. There you were in the valley of Elah, faced with a giant, and I gave you the victory over the giant, and ultimately you grew in fame and, and reputation, and ultimately you became king. I placed you in that place. I gave you that, that victory. I gave you that opportunity. I've blessed you with everything that a man's heart could ever desire. I've given you all that you could ever need or want. And someone says, well, I'm sure David was grateful to some degree for all that God had done for him. I would respond by saying, well, he may have been. But he wasn't grateful enough, obviously. See, I think sometimes we're grateful to a degree, but we're not grateful enough. I mean, what we have already is so sufficient and it's so wonderful and it meets our needs and yet we're not satisfied with that. Why? Because just like David, we think we deserve something else. Just like David, we feel that there's more out there that we're missing out on. We feel we need something else other than what God has already given us. You ever feel that way? Of course you have. So have I. Don't make it right, though. 
We are bombarded with ads and commercials and constant emails seeking to whet our appetites for various products. We're told that <laughs> you can't possibly be happy until you get this. You got to have it. If you don't have this, you're missing out. I mean, you're nobody. You're nothing. We tell teenagers, if you don't have this kind of shoe or that kind of hairdo or that kind of jean or this kind of this or that, boy, you're just not in the in crowd. And somehow they are convinced. And sadly enough, as adults, we're no better. You know, we have homes that God's provided for us and cars that may not be the best, but they run. It's an amazing thing how grateful you are for a beater that runs. And then when it doesn't, you think, if I only had a new car, you ought to be glad you got one that runs at all. I'm just saying this. So many times we fail to see what God has already given us, and we somehow look over the fence and we see others and we are envious of what they have because we feel we deserve that. We want what they have, and yet we don't understand what you have is from God, and it ought to be good enough, and we ought to learn to be grateful for what we do have. And if you want to work a little extra harder to get something else, and God gives you the grace to do that, by all means, go and do it. But my friend, to envy what someone else has, to have expectations that are unrealistic or ungodly, my friend, that is going to lead you to a place called ingratitude. We've been given so much. And we possess so much. But if we're not careful, we begin to take those things for granted. After World War II, two families were waiting in line after a church service to greet the pastor. And the, the church was prepared to build a building at that time. And so they had a kind of a building program going. And the first family in line said to the pastor, you know what, pastor? Our son was killed in the war. We'd like to give $200 as a memorial gift. This was right after World War II. $200 is a memorial gift. The second family stepped up and said, Pastor, we were going to give $200 for our son who came home. But we're going to give 500 because he did. The family that lost a child said, we're giving 200 And that family ultimately started thinking, wait a second, we have ours. How much more grateful should we be? Well, I'll tell you what, sometimes we lose sight of the blessings we have. We forget what we do. And I know, I know that not everything in our life is, is, is running smoothly. I know that things don't always turn out the way we'd like. But the fact is, is that we have so much, so much focus on the negative and we miss out on the positive. There's so much good around us, but all we see is the bad. You know, it's very easy to forget to count our blessings, isn't it? I mean, it is. As much as we have, we still, like, like David or still, like the psalmist say, it's not enough. There's got to be more. Especially when we're going through a tough time. It's really tempting then. The mind will usually focus on the difficulties and the disappointments of life and often neglect the very good things that happen to us every day. There's a song called Count Your Blessings. It's one of the most popular Christian hymns probably the world over. It goes like this. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, Count your many blessings, name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord 
has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. I wonder, what are you thankful for today? What am I thankful for? Well, I know there's a lot of things we could be unthankful for, but why focus on that? Why not be thankful for what we do have? Two friends met each other on the street one day. One looked kind of kind of down in the dumps, almost on the verge of tears. His friend asked him, he said, well, what's the world done to you, my old friend? The sad fellow looked at him and said, well, let me tell you. Three weeks ago, my, my uncle died and left me $40,000. That's a lot of money. But you see, two weeks ago, a cousin I never even knew died and left me $85,000 free and clear. Sounds to me like you're pretty blessed. Sounds to me like things are going pretty good. You don't understand. Last week, my great aunt passed away. I inherited about a quarter of a million from her. Now the guy, I mean, he's getting kind of confused, right? He's looking at him like, what in the world's your problem, dude? Well, why in, the, why in the world are you so down? Why are you so glum? Why are you so, I mean, this week, nothing. You know, we can sometimes come to the point where we expect to get certain blessings that God maybe even never promised us. And when they don't come, it's kind of easy to get bitter, isn't it? Let's face it, we're so blessed in so many cases that when something comes along that doesn't seem like a blessing, we can look pretty negative on it. I mean, the car has run every single day for the last two years, and it breaks down, and all of a sudden, life is terrible. And it is, too. But anyway... But if we're not careful, we're not thankful for what we did have and what God has provided, all we can see is what we don't have now. Oh, my. Count your blessings. A recognition of good will place you on the road to thankfulness. Finally, number three, a revelation of godliness. That'll place you on the road to thankfulness. You say, what do you mean? Well, glad you asked. Turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. A revelation of godliness. You say, what in the world does that have to do with being thankful? Well, I'm going to explain that, I hope, and help you to see. Kind of goes along with the first one we talked about a little bit, but in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, the Bible says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all matter of conversation, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. That's what the Lord said. See, the call to holiness is a call that reminds even the best of humanity, even the best of believers, even the best of people of our miserable condition as a sinner and our need of a Savior. 
When we come face to face with perfection, Jesus Christ, we're left crushed by the weight of our sin and the guilt and shame it produces. It's just a reality. See, he never sinned and he is righteous and he is holy. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He never sinned. In 1 Peter 2, verse 22, the Bible says, Who did no sin, referring to Jesus Christ, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who did no sin, it says. But you and I, on the other hand, we're a different story altogether, aren't we? We really are. Second Peter continues in verse 25 by saying, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. I mean, in 1 Peter chapter 2, we see the holiness and the righteousness, the perfection of Jesus Christ. And there, as he goes to Calvary, he's without sin, and he is the perfect sacrifice. He says, be holy, for I am holy. And we look at him and say, how can I be holy? I'm a sinner. At the very root, I'm a sinner. I can't help but do wrong. But it's in recognizing his godliness his righteousness, his holiness, and understanding our sin that we can truly understand what true gratitude and thankfulness is at some point. Because it's not at that point that we're grateful, but may I say there comes a point that we recognize that he did not simply come and leave us in that place, but he provided us a means to escape that sin. And to truly be holy as he is holy. See, the prophet Isaiah leaves little doubt that we're wretched. We're in a very wretched state as all, as, as everyone else. We're all in the same boat. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What that literally means is that we miss the mark. What that means is that we fall short of his standard. And his standard is perfection. And you know who the standard is? Jesus Christ. It's a man, it's a person, it's the God-man, Jesus Christ, God in flesh. He lived a sinless, perfect life. He's the standard. Hey, listen, I, I could come down here today and I could say, well, I'm going to go ahead and look at my life and look at my actions and my attitude and my outlook and I'm going to compare it to Bob's. Boy, does mine look better than his. That's a sinner right there. I'm glad I'm not as bad as he is. I'm just joking about that, Bob. Please, take it easy. But I could do that, and you could do that too, not just with Bob, but you could do that. And you could look at other people, and you could say, well, at least I'm not as bad as him. At least I'm not like that person. At least I'm not going to be doing what they did. At least I'm, oh, boy, we got all kind of ways to somehow convince ourselves that we're not so bad. When you can yourself to the only one that God says we're to compare ourselves to and that's Jesus Christ who was 
Emmanuel, God with us. And he lived a perfect, sinless life. And we see his godliness. We see his perfection. We recognize his righteousness. We can't help but say to ourselves, I'm wretched. I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. At that point, we are on our road to gratitude. Because let me tell you how it works. We look at Isaiah 53, and you'll see. Turn there, would you? Isaiah 53. That perfect Savior, Jesus Christ, who hung on Calvary 2,000 years ago. He did that with a purpose. That purpose was you and me. Jesus Christ did not die for good people. He died for sinners. So if you're not a sinner today, you miss out. Do you know how you know you're a sinner? When you compare yourself to godliness. When you finally come to the place where you have a revelation of godliness and you see him high and lifted up and you recognize him for who he is and what he is, perfect and sinless, you go, man, I'm such a sinner. And then you come to this truth. In Isaiah 53, verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Boy, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ hung on Calvary to take my place and to take your place. The perfect Savior, the one who deserved only good, the one who should have had angels waiting on him hand and foot, not just in heaven but on earth, the one whose creation should have adored him and bowed before him and lifted him up and elevated him while he was here, instead took him to an old cross and hung him on Calvary and made him suffer, bleed, and die between heaven and earth. But he did that with a purpose. They didn't make him die. He chose to die. He gave his perfect sinless self for you, the perfect sinner. I'm a good sinner, a great sinner. But he's a better savior. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Boy, when we get a glimpse and we, we get a revelation of godliness and we see how wicked and wretched we are compared to him, we got to come to the place where we fall before him and humble ourselves and we cry out and say, Oh, God, forgive me. Forgive me for my sin. I know that you died. You sent your son to take my place. He wouldn't have had to die if it wasn't for me. And I want to receive and accept him today. I want him to wash my sin away. I want him to take my place. I don't want to pay for my sin and spend an eternity separated from you. I want to live with you forever in a place called heaven where the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, you get a glimpse of him. You get a revelation of godliness. It'll put you on the road to thankfulness. A realization of God, a recognition of good, a revelation of godliness, 
these put us on the road that leads to thankfulness. Once you get on that road, it's up to you what you'll focus on. It'll be up to you whether or not you can look at your life and obey the scripture as God outlined it there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. See, I used this last week, but let me close with this again. On November the 4th, 2010, Eunice Sanborn became the world's oldest living person. This was back in 2010. But she celebrated her 114th birthday on July the 20th, 2010, at her church, First Baptist of Jacksonville, Texas. Eunice says that she not only loves everything about her life, but she also has no complaints. You know, if she'd wanted to complain, I'm sure she'd have had many things to complain about through 114 years. But this lady has demonstrated one important truth about gratitude, thankfulness, that it's simply a choice. You and I will choose to be thankful for what we have or we will choose not to be. The only way that we're going to ultimately fulfill the command of Scripture in everything, give thanks. The only way that we'll end up in the center of His will and be right where God wants us is to choose to give Him. I want to encourage you to reflect on your life and to see the good. I know there's bad in all lives and situations in the sense that it's difficult times. But don't focus always on the negative. Let's see what God is doing even in the midst of the difficult. Let's let God have his way. and Let's be grateful and thankful for what he has provided and given us. It is a choice we make, a decision. Maybe today you've never had a revelation of godliness. Maybe you've never recognized or seen yourself in comparison to a holy, perfect, righteous God. You always thought, well, I'm a pretty good person, and maybe you are. But good people don't get to heaven. Forgiven people do. I want to encourage you to see him high and lifted up today. He's no longer on a cross. He already paid that penalty for your sin. He's not in a tomb. He rose from the dead. He's high and lifted up, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for all those that put their faith and trust in him, standing in their stead, taking up their case. And as the devil comes and accuses and says, oh, they're still sinners. They're still rotten at the core. They don't want nothing to do with you, God. And he says, hey, but I want something to do with them. They trusted my son, and I love them. And I'll never let you get your stinking paws on them again. Maybe you need to trust Christ today. Just settle your soul's salvation. You do that by seeing him, seeing yourself, and recognizing your need of a Savior today. Won't you trust him as your Savior if you haven't already? And if you're a child of God, won't you make a choice today to say, I'm going to be thankful this week. There's some things going on in my life that are difficult, but I'm still going to be thankful for what God is doing in the midst of it all. I'm going to thank him for what he is and who he is. And 
what he's already done and what I trust and believe he can do. Boy, how sweet will it be to be in the center of his will. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time we've had together. Bless us now in these next few moments. Be glorified in our lives. Help us, Lord, to do that which is pleasing in your sight. May you, Father, be exalted. Lord, if there's anyone here today that has yet to receive and accept Christ that doesn't know for sure heaven's their home, has never recognized themselves as this wretched sinner that the word of God describes us to be without Jesus Christ, that has finally come to the place where they know that it's Christ alone that they need, that he's the one that can save them, forgive them, and ultimately give them eternal life. If they've never trusted him, may they settle that today. For us as believers, may we make a choice, a decision today to be thankful. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed. The music's going to play, every head bowed, every eye closed.